السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كتاب الوضوء the book of wudu what does wudu mean ablution washing yourself in the way that has been taught to us by you know the Quran and Sunnah and it is a prerequisite for salah so kitabul wudu this entire chapter this entire book in other words is dedicated to what wudu what its virtues are its way its obligation its method the parts of wudu so on and so forth all of them are mentioned in kitabul wudu and this shows to us that this book of Imam Bukhari it's not just about you know ilm and seerah or the Quran but it's also about fiqh and this is why it's al-jami' in one way as well that it talks about all kinds of relevant issues that pertain to any muslim kitab wudu the word wudu is derived from the word wada and wada means husn beauty it is said wajhun wadi'un face that is wadi meaning a face that is very beautiful and we see that performing wudu is a means of cleanliness and it's also a source of beauty for a person how cleanliness in the dunya beauty in the dunya because a person if he's clean if he's fresh then obviously he will be beautiful as well and definitely in the hereafter it will be a source of a lot of beauty for a person and the word wudu also means safa and nur safa as in purity and nur as in light and again wudu is a source of cleanliness in this life and a source of brightness a source of light for a person on the day of judgment and wudu is a means of cleansing the body cleaning the body from what from impurity from qadr impurity and this impurity could be hissi as well as ma'nawi this filth could be tangible as well as intangible tangible filth understood intangible filth sins the dhunub and the khataya that we commit and when a person performs wudu then what happens that the sins are also washed away even with the last drop that washes off of a person's body even with that sins are washed away and this is the reason why wudu is called wudu such a meaningful name isn't it and we see that wudu is a prerequisite for salah which means that if a person has not performed wudu then his prayer will not be acceptable and many times we see that our bodies are clean i mean we just took a shower in the morning but yet when you have to perform salatul zuhur you have to perform wudu so what does it show that cleanliness obtaining purity is something that is very very important in our religion cleanliness purity is something that is fundamental in our religion it's very very essential and a hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam illustrates that very clearly that at-tahur wa-shatrul iman that tahur cleanliness is a very big part of faith so you know cleanliness it affects every part of our faith it affects our salah it affects our umrah it affects our hajj you know it's a source of protection against the punishment in the grave we know that if a person does not keep himself clean while urinating then what will happen he will suffer from the punishment in the grave so purity cleanliness is something that is very very important and we see that it doesn't just benefit our deen but it also benefits our relationships that if a person is clean then other people are comfortable around him and if a person does not keep himself clean then other people feel uncomfortable as well 
You know, a person may have very, very good akhlaq. He may be very knowledgeable. He may have a lot of skills. But if he does not keep himself clean, then people will, you know, keep away from him. So, wudu, cleanliness, tahara is a source of great benefit for a person in this dunya with regards to religious matters and also worldly matters and definitely in the hereafter as well. And tahara, cleanliness, is of different levels. It is of several levels. The first level of cleanliness is to clean the body. Clean the body from what? From impurities, from uncleanliness, that is, hissi. So for example, if a person has filth on his body, then you know cleanliness is to, tahara is to remove that filth, get rid of that filth. Yesterday we learned about the different types of discharge and we know that madi, a person has to wash it off, it is najis. So a person cannot have filth on his body, it has to be washed off. So the first level is cleanliness of the body from what? Hissi, filth, as well as hukmi, filth. What does it mean by hukmi? Meaning to enter into the state of purity. So for example, a person's body may be completely clean, no germs whatsoever, but he doesn't have wudu. Isn't he clean? Yes, he is clean. Then why does he need to wash his face and hands and arms and feet and wipe his head? Why? So that he can perform salah. So the first level of cleanliness is to clean the body from filth and also to have hukmi, tahara. The second level of purity is to protect the body, to clean the body from what? From sins. To clean the limbs of sins. So what does that mean? That a person does not perform filthy actions with his body. And it means that a person does not say filthy words with his tongue. Because many times we utter words and eventually it's a source of regret. The consequences can be very severe, can be very, very detrimental. So it's necessary that we clean our tongue as well. When we rinse our mouth in wudu, remember that we are supposed to clean our tongue from intangible filth as well. Likewise with our hands, with our feet, with our elbows, we shouldn't be doing anything that is harmful you know, to us or to other people. So it is to protect the body and limbs from sins. The third level is to cleanse the heart from filth as well. That a person does not have filthy thoughts, you know, bad feelings, ill feelings against other people, about other people. No, rather a person should keep his heart clean. That is also a very important level of tahara. And another final level of tahara is to cleanse the batin, the hidden side of a person, the private matters of a person, the innermost part of the heart of a person, which is that a person, you know, frees himself from ghayrullah. In other words, that he's not, you know, interested in Allah, Rather, his his focus is entirely on who, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That he has sincerity for Allah, you know, he has love for Allah, intense love, as well as fear, as well as hope. All of this only for Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So we see that tahara is a part of tazkiyah. It is a part of purification, and physical purity is not enough. Nor is you know, spiritual purity enough. No, both of them are necessary. Both of them are necessary. You know, a person uh, could keep his body very clean, but if he, you know, abuses others with his tongue, then his keeping his body is not that beneficial. Likewise, if a person, you know, does not harm other people with his tongue, but he entertains evil thoughts in his heart, again, that is not clean. That is not cleanliness, because eventually that filth will come out. That if a person is not mindful of what goes on in his heart and mind, and on the surface he appears to be okay, then eventually a moment comes where everything that he's been holding up inside, you know, it's spewing out then. And it harms other people. Likewise, if a person does not have sincerity for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and on the apparent he's clean, you know, in his dealings with other people, he's very good, then again, that purification is not complete. 
So we see that tahara is something that is very, very major in our religion. And it includes all types of cleanliness. Starting from the body, deep down into the heart. All levels must be clean. And we see that one of the things that the Prophet ﷺ did was, him, And he also purified the people. And he purified the people in, at every level. All of these levels. And each and every one of them is essential. And if you think about it, the process of tazkiyah, the process of purification, cleanliness, tahara, it begins from where? Where does it start from? From cleaning the body. That's the first level. Okay? That's the first level. That is where it begins from. Because whether or not a person entertains evil thoughts in his heart, is he supposed to pray? Is he? Yes. Is he supposed to do wudu? Of course. So, wudu, you don't have a choice about. Salah, you don't have a choice about. You have to do it. Okay? So it starts from there. And it affects are such that it goes deep down. Because many times people think that, what's the point of wudu? What's the point of wudu? You know, I'm clean. I just did wudu. You know, people wonder, I just did wudu and I used the washroom, but I still feel very clean. Why do I have to do wudu? Because it reminds you again and again the importance of cleanliness, the importance of purity. And then it affects a person as well. That if a person is used to keeping clean on the outside, then he will not like it when he's filthy on the inside. That will also bother him. And we see that in this book, Imam Bukhari mentions the tahara of the body, specifically with regards to wudu. Because that is the first step of purification. And why do you think this comes right after Kitabul Ilm? What do you think the connection is between Kitabul Ilm and Kitabul Wudu? Okay, very true that we've been learning about Ilm, the importance of Ilm, the etiquettes of Ilm, so on and so forth. Now, we have to learn and do something as well, right? So, it begins from the most, Amal begins from the most important actions. Of the most important obligations on us is what? Salah. And the prerequisite for salah is wudu. So after ilm comes, amal. After ilm comes, amal. And the first amal that we should be concerned about is our salah. And the prerequisite for that is wudu. And we also see that the foundation of you know, the acceptance of many righteous deeds is what? Cleanliness, tahara. So likewise for salah, the foundation is what? Wudu. So it's essential that we start from wudu, cleanliness. Bab ma jaa fil wudu'i. Chapter, Maja'a, what has come, fil wudu'i, concerning wudu, about wudu. In other words, what has been reported about wudu. What is the evidence of wudu? Where it is mentioned in the Quran? Where it is mentioned in the Sunnah? How important is wudu? How it is supposed to be done? For what do we need wudu? Allah Ta'ala, and the statement of Allah, the exalted Ta'ala, which statement? Which is in the Quran, إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ That when you all stand for prayer, O believers, فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ Then you wash your faces, وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ And also your hands, up until إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ Up until the elbows. وَامْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ And wipe your heads, وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ And your feet, إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ To the ankles. This ayah is in the Quran, and where is it mentioned? In Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number 6. And we see that in this ayah, the ayah begins with, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu. The believers are addressed, which means that this is a part of iman, to perform wudu. And in this ayah is the dalil, the evidence of wudu. The evidence of the obligation of wudu. The evidence that wudu is a prerequisite for salah. Without wudu, salah will be invalid. It will not be accepted. 
without purification. And obviously, the next chapter is tayammum, which is the other way. So this ayah shows the obligation of wudu. And this ayah also tells us about the process of wudu, how wudu is to be performed. So if you look at the ayah, إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَىٰ When you stand for prayer, meaning when you intend to perform the salah. So before you perform the salah, you have to perform the wudu. And this shows that, according to some scholars, many of them, they say that this ayah is the evidence that wudu is only needed for salah. Because it hasn't been mentioned that when you intend to do this and this and this and also salah, then you do wudu. No, only salah is mentioned. So for some scholars, they say that wudu is only needed for salah and this is the evidence. And a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ also illustrates that. That once the Prophet ﷺ used the washroom and he didn't perform wudu, so one of the companions, he asked that you're not going to do wudu. He said, I'm not going to pray right now. So he didn't need to do wudu, so this is why he did not perform wudu. And you know about the ayat which are used to show the obligation of wudu, that it's necessary to have wudu in order to recite the Qur'an. You know that ayah, al-mutahharun refers to the angels. So this is the evidence that many scholars use, that wudu is only a requirement for prayer. فَاغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ So wash your faces. And the wuju, waj, muwajaha, to face someone. The face is the part of the body which is right in front when a person faces the other. So basically, it's from your forehead, the tip of your forehead, all the way down to your chin. It doesn't mean you go to the neck, but just the edge, the end of the chin. And from one ear to the other. This is the waj. So that has to be washed as well. وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ Meaning hands all the way up to the elbows. In other words, the arms, including the elbows. And وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ Wipe your heads. It hasn't been said that wash your heads. Rather, wipe your heads. And what's the method of wiping the head? Front to back and back to front. And we see that washing the head, washing the head for wudu, this is not wajib. This is not something that's necessary. It's not even mubah and it's not even mustahab. It's not something concerning which a person has a choice that wash your head or don't wash your head for wudu. Likewise, it's not even preferable that a person does wudu. In fact, it is makruh. It is disliked that a person washes his head for wudu. Why? Because in the Quran, clearly it has been said, wipe your head. In the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, we see that he wiped the head. And if a person thinks that if he's washing his head, he's doing something more righteous, then that is getting ahead of Allah and His Messenger. And that is something that we're not allowed to do. Washing the head would be very difficult for people. When you wipe your head, within a few seconds, your head becomes dry. Your hair is dry. But if you wash your head, how long is it going to take for your head to dry? It's going to take very long. And it could cause a lot of hardship for people. You know, people would have to use a lot of water. It could cause people to become ill. And it would take very long to do wudu. And we wouldn't be able to do wudu just anywhere. Right? It would only be possible in certain places. So there's a great hikmah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to only wipe our heads. So we should limit ourselves to what Allah has commanded and not get ahead of that. And then, وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ And also your feet. أَرْجُلَكُمْ If you remember the tafsir of the ayah when we studied, أَرْجُلَكُمْ This is read in two ways. أَرْجُلَ As well as أَرْجُلِ In one qira'ah, in one recitation, it is with the fatha, it is mansub, and another recitation it is majrur. If we take it as mansub, if we take it as mansub, okay, وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ As you see it, then, وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ wa. This is ma'atuf with wujuhakum wa aidiyakum. Okay? This is ma'atuf with what? Wujuhakum wa aidiyakum. So what was the command before that? Faghsilu. So wash what? Your faces and your hands and also your feet. 
And if we take arjulikum as majrur, then it would be connected with ru'usikum. So it would mean wipe your heads and wipe your feet. So there are two qira'at. What does that show? That both are permissible. A person may wash his feet and he may also wipe his feet. Some people have misinterpreted this verse and they say that, you know, you're only supposed to wipe your feet. You're not supposed to wash your feet. And others say, you cannot wipe your feet. You have to wash your feet. No. The two qira'at, they show the two options that are available to people. When can you wipe your feet? When you have socks on. But what's the condition? That before you put your socks on, you had wudu. And when do you wash your feet? When you don't have socks on. Right? So that at that time, you have to wash your feet. You can't wipe your hands over your feet. So both the options are there. And just a side note, with regards to wiping the feet, when do you do that? When you have socks on, right? Jawrab. And in the hadith, clearly the word jawrab has been used. And jawrab is used for what is worn on the feet. It could be made of paper. It could be made of cloth. It could be made of wool. It could be made of leather. It could be made of, some have said, even animal hair. So anything that is worn on the foot is what? Jawrab. And khuf. Khuf is what? Leather socks. But in hadith, clearly the word jawrab has been used, which shows that you can also do mas'h over your cotton socks. Because some people say, no, only leather socks and not cotton socks. No, also cotton socks. So, وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ All the way up to the ankles. And we see that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ explains the Qur'an. And we see both the ways in the sunnah. The Prophet ﷺ sometimes washed his feet, and other times he wiped the feet. So both the ways are there and we should follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Qala Abu Abdullah. Abu Abdullah said, Who is Abu Abdullah? Imam Bukhari. So his student, he's studying the book from Imam Bukhari. So he's writing whatever Imam Bukhari is, narrating to him whatever he's teaching him. So his student wrote that Qala Abu Abdullah وَبَيَّنَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he bayyana, meaning he made clear, he clarified Anna that indeed فرض الوضوئي فرض the obligation of الوضوء performing wudu is marratan marratan once once meaning that if a person washes these parts of the body that are mentioned in the ayah even once then the obligation is fulfilled in other words the wudu is valid when if you wash the parts of the body how many times just once وَتَوَضَّأَ أَيْضًا and he performed wudu aydan also marrataini wathalathan. He washed these parts of the body in wudu how many times? Twice and sometimes also thrice. Walam yazid and he did not increase ala salathin over three, meaning he did not wash the parts of the body of wudu more than three times. وَكَرِهَ And he has disliked. Who has disliked? Ahlul ilm, the people of knowledge. Al-Israfa, excessiveness. Fihi, in it. Meaning the scholars, they have disliked that a person should exceed washing the parts of the body more than three times. Israf. وَأَنْ And that يُجَاوِزُ They exceed. فِعْلَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ The act, the action of the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ so this statement, it shows that the sunnah proves that the Prophet ﷺ sometimes washed in wudu once, sometimes twice, and sometimes three times. If a person does it once, the obligation is fulfilled. But if a person has enough water, 
enough time to wash twice, that's also good. And if he has enough time and water to do it three times, that's also good. However, not more than three times. So that if a person says, I have so much water, you know, the tap is running. So I want to be very bright on the day of judgment, so let me wash my face ten times. No, you cannot exceed the number three. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he did not do that either. And we see that with regards to the number of times that a person may wash a part of the body in wudu, we have a choice. You can do it once, twice, thrice. This does not mean contradiction. But what does it mean? Choice. That whatever suits a person in a situation, he may do that. So for example, if you are washing your hands with soap or your face with soap, and you know you feel that you can't get all the soap off in just washing it three times, then what should you do? Wash them before. Okay, but don't make that as part of wudu. Okay, don't make that as part of the wudu. And also this teaches us that we should, you know, get used to using less water. So for example, don't take too much soap on your hands that you're, you know, using all the bubbles, you know, enjoying the bubbles. No. There is a difference in the reward. By once only the obligation is fulfilled. By thrice you're following the sunnah as well. And you are washing more times, which means that there are more brightness and more sins washed away, inshallah. So there is a difference in the reward. Bab, لا تقبل salatun. Salah, prayer, is not accepted. How? بِغَيْنِ طُهُورٍ Without cleanliness. Salah is not accepted, it is not valid without cleanliness. Meaning, unless and until a person is clean, his salah will not be valid. So in other words, if a person does not have wudu, will his salah be valid? No. If a person is in the state of Janaba and he hasn't taken ghusl, will his salah be valid? No. Remember that there's two types of states of impurity. Hadas. Two types of states of impurity. The first is hadas akbar and the other is hadas asghar. Hadas akbar, major impurity. Hadas asghar, minor impurity. What is major impurity? Such a state for which a person needs to take a ghusl, a bath in order to become clean. Wudu is not sufficient. So for example, if a person is in a state of janaba, if a woman was menstruating, and now her period has stopped, so in order to become clean, is wudu sufficient? No. She has to perform ghusl. So hadath akbar, major impurity. What is hadath asghar? That a person, for instance, has used the washroom, or he was sleeping for a very long time, or he ate camel meat, and he wants to pray, so what does he have to do? perform wudu. So, tahara includes both of these. Ghusl as well as wudu. Depending on the situation, the type of impurity that a person was experiencing. So, la tuqbalu salatun bighayri tuhur. Salah is invalid without cleanliness. Without proper cleanliness. The first obligation, or rather the obligation that is common between all people is what? Salah. Women have to pray, men have to pray. Old people have to pray, sick people have to pray, healthy people have to pray, people who are traveling and people who are at home, people who are working and people who are free. All types of people have to pray. Obviously, there are exceptions. A woman who is menstruating, a person who is not sane, a child who has not reached the age of puberty, or a person who is unconscious. You know, that's a different story altogether. But in the general sense, all people are required to pray, no matter what, you know, state a person is in. It doesn't matter. And the condition for the acceptance of salah is wudu. What does it mean then? That every Muslim, every person must know about 
the wudu, when it is valid, when it is required, how it is to be done, what are the obligations. All of this is ilm that is fard. Fardul ayn. It is mandatory on every individual to learn about this ilm. Because without it, your salah will be invalid or it will be deficient or you know there might be a problem with your salah, it will not be accepted. So, person must not be shy in learning the rules of wudu either. Because it happens that when you start learning about the subject, I mean, some embarrassing things do come up. You know, and we feel embarrassed talking about these things or even listening about these things. We feel uncomfortable. But the fact is that if a person corrects their niyyah, that I'm learning this so that I can perfect my prayer, I can perfect my ibadah, then it becomes easier. And we learned earlier that there, there should be no shyness in such matters. حدثنا إسحاق بن إبراهيم الحنظلي قال أخبرنا عبد الرزاق قال أخبرنا معمر عن همام ابن منبه so همام ابن منبه أنه that indeed he سمع أبا هريرة he heard أبو هريرة يقول he was saying قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم he said لا تقبل صلاة the prayer is not accepted of whose Man of the one who ahdatha, the one who broke his wudu, the one who lost his wudu, the one who was in impurity. Remember hadath akbar, hadath asghar, so the one who lost his wudu, the one who is in a state of impurity, hatta until yatawadda'a, until he does wudu. Qala rajulun, a man said, and this man was min hadramaut. He had come from hadramaut. Hadramaut is a place. He asked, mal hadathu, what is Hadath, Ya Abu Huraira, O Abu Huraira, because Abu Huraira was narrating the hadith. And when he was narrating the hadith, a man had come from Hadramaut. And he asked Abu Huraira that Ya Abu Huraira, what is Al Hadath? Mal Hadath. Qala, he replied, Fusa'un awduratun. Fusa'un is to pass wind, bila sawt, meaning without sound. And duratun is to pass wind, bis sawt, meaning with sound. So in other words, if a person passes wind during his salah, then whether or not he hears it, then his wudu has broken, and therefore he cannot continue to pray. And if, you know, obviously he has to pray, so for that reason, what does he have to do? He has to perform wudu. What was the chapter title? That, لا تقبل صلاة بغير ظهور Without cleanliness, salah is not accepted. But the hadith only talks about hadith asghar. Only Hadith Asghar. Hadith Akbar is not mentioned in this Hadith. Okay, if a person passes when he's not in the state of Hadith Akbar. So, how come he's mentioning only this Hadith to prove something that's very general? That if passing wind will not cause Salah to be accepted, then obviously major impurity will also prevent Salah from being accepted. So one proves the other. Bab, Fadl wudu'i, the virtue of wudu. The reward of wudu. وَالْغُرُّ الْمُحَجَّلُونَ مِنْ آثَارِ الْوُضُوء And غُرُّ muhajjalun are from the effects of wudu. Meaning people will be غُرُّ muhajjalun. Why? Because of the effects of wudu. What does it mean by غُرُّ muhajjalun? غُرُّ is used for horses that have white foreheads. White foreheads. Horses that have white foreheads. And muhajjalun are used for horses that have white front and back legs. So all their four legs are white. So you can imagine a horse that is black, but just the forehead and the legs, they're, they're white. Will you not notice such a horse? 
Of course. You know, sometimes it happens that a horse only has one white mark on the forehead. And it's so noticeable. It looks so beautiful. Now imagine if the entire forehead is white and the legs, the front and the back legs, both are white. So that horse will really stand out. So people will be like this. When? On the Day of Judgment. Why? Because of the effects of wudu. In wudu, what do you wash? Your face, right? As well as your limbs, your arms and your feet. So, you know, likewise a horse, the face, the forehead and the legs are white. So people will be like that as well, meaning bright on the Day of Judgment. Inshallah, we will learn about that as well. That wudu, it's not necessary that you only make wudu before you have to pray. No, you can also remain in the state of wudu all the time. Okay, It's not a condition. It's not necessary for you. However, you may do so. So the more a person performs wudu, the better it is for him. It's a source of purity, cleanliness, tangible as well as intangible, and also a source of beauty, husn, on the Day of Judgment. حدثنا يحيى بن بكير قال حدثنا الليث عن خالد عن سعيد بن أبي هلال عن نعيم المجمر قال he said so نعيم he said رقيت رقيت I ascended راقافية فرتقي then ascend so رقيت I ascended مع with أبي هريرة with أبو هريرة Allah upon ظَهْرِ masjid, The back of the masjid. The back does not mean the place that was behind the masjid, but rather it means the roof. So they went there. Because the word رَقِيتُ has been used. فَتَوَضَّأَ So then he performed wudu. فَقَالَ Meaning Abu Huraira, he performed wudu. فَقَالَ And then he said, إِنِّي سَمِعْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ Indeed, I heard the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم. He was saying that إِنَّ أُمَّتِي Indeed, my people, يُدْعُونَ They will be called يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ On the Day of Judgment. They will be called how? غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ They will be called as غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ مِنْ آثَارِ الْوُضُوءِ Because of the traces of wudu. Because of the effects of wudu. فَمَنِ اسْتَطَاعَ So whoever is capable مِنْكُمْ of you أَنْ that يُطِيلَ He makes long from طول That he makes long He extends غُرَّتَهُ His whiteness فَلْيَفْعَلْ Then he should do so It doesn't mean that You know if a person wants He can wash all of his arm And not up to the elbow No because that is something That we're not allowed to do يُطِيلَ means you know, making that brightness even more, making it even more intense. And obviously the light is going to spread, right? So the more far and wide you want your light to spread, the more wudu you can do. You have the choice. It's up to you. You understand? Tool does not mean washing all of your body, going beyond the parts of body that we have to wash. No, it means washing them more. Because the light will be far and wide, depending on the number of times that a person performed wudu. So we see that on the Day of Judgment, the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ will be called. He said, Inna Ummati. Ummati, remember whenever the Prophet ﷺ, you know, referred to something like this, reward for the Ummah on the Day of Judgment, it doesn't mean every single person of the Muslim Ummah. But because Muslim Ummah refers to, or rather the Ummah of Muhammad ﷺ is who? To all those people to whom he was sent to. Whether they believed in him or they did not believe in him, they obeyed him or they didn't, they partially followed him or they fully followed him. It includes all people in the general sense. But when he says, my ummah, 
then it means those people who responded to him, those people who followed him, who obeyed him, whether or not they saw him. This is just like when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the word ibad, it is all the servants. Okay? But when ibadul rahman, okay, then they are not ordinary servants, but those who are obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those who fulfill the haqq of being the abd of Allah. So likewise, ummati, those who fulfill the haqq of being the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They fulfill their responsibility. They do what they are supposed to do. So such people on the day of judgment will be called yud'auna yawmul qiyamati ghurran muhajjaleen. What does it mean? People on the day of judgment will be called by their descriptions. They will be called by their descriptions. So, for example, people of so-and-so prophet, or people of so-and-so book, people of so-and-so actions. So, the ummah of, the, of Muhammad wasallam will be called as what? Ghurran muhajjalin. This is like a sifa. This is like a trait, a characteristic of theirs. And we see that in the Quran also we learn, وَتَرَى كُلَّ أُمَّةٍ جَاثِيَةٍ كُلَّ أُمَّةٍ تُدْعَى إِلَى كِتَابِهَا Every nation will be called to its book. So, إِلَى كِتَابِهَا has been understood in two ways. First of all, it has been said that by the book that was sent to the nation, so kitab that was given to the nation, the shari'an, meaning the shari'a that was given to the nation, so for example, Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu Ya Ahl Al-Quran, the Ummah of Musa sallallahu Ya Ahl Al-Tawrah, so this is how people will be called. And another meaning of this is tudu'a ila kitabiha is that they'll be called by the kitab that is written for that ummah. Meaning the kitab that has been written as recompense for that ummah. Kitab is also writing, right? Meaning what has been written for those people. In other words, the actions that they have performed and the recompense that they are to get. So people will be called on the Day of Judgment according to the actions that they performed and the recompense that they are supposed to get on the Day of Judgment. So they'll be called according to the kitab, meaning according to what has been written for them. Okay, as jaza. So people will be called ghur muhajjaleen. Why? Because this is kitab that has been written as their jaza. Okay, this will be their recompense. They will be praised, honored by this description, by this title. Now, the word ghur is the plural of agar, agar, from the word ghurra. And ghurra is the whiteness on the face of the horse, the forehead of the horse. So, agar, the horse whose forehead is white, and ghur, horses, whose faces, whose foreheads are white. So the ummah will be called by this description. And remember that this whiteness will not be, you know, an aib, a fault, or an illness, a disease, a skin discoloration? No, not at all. Rather, this will be nur. This will be light. I told you the meaning of the word wudu. Right? What does it mean? It's from wada, beauty, husn, and also safa, and nur. So this will result in light, in brightness, in beauty on the day of judgment. So this whiteness, don't take it as an ayb. But rather, it will be a source of beauty. And this will be exclusively for who? For the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those who performed wudu exclusively for them. And this is how the Prophet ﷺ will also recognize the people of his ummah. And muhajjal, it is a horse whose legs are white. And especially the lower part. Not all of the legs, but the lower part. 
So again, this is not for aib, but for beauty. And remember that on the day of judgment, how will people come? How will people come? Bare and naked, nothing on their bodies. So some people, you know, they'll be honored on that day with light. Light. That will be covering them and that will be, you know, honoring them. Just imagine. So, غُرْ muhajjalin For who? For those who perform wudu. And then look at the encouragement that whoever wishes to elongate, extend that light, then he should increase in his wudu. Many times it happens that you know, we find wudu difficult. Why? Why do we find it difficult? What are the you know some things that make it difficult for us to perform wudu? Okay, so for example, it's too cold. The air conditioning is too high. It's very cold. You're freezing already and you know there's no warm water and you don't want to do it. That sometimes we are dressed up. You know, we spent so much time doing that makeup and we know that if we wash our face, the mascara is going to, you know, ruin the makeup. And then we're going to have to redo everything. We don't want to ruin our hair. Because part of wudu is wiping the head. And if you wipe your head front to back and back to front, I'm sorry. Your hair is messed up now. Right? What else prevents us? Okay, that we have, you know, pinned our hijab in such a complicated way that, you know, unpinning everything and doing everything again seems so much work. Sometimes it's just pure laziness. Pure laziness. Okay, sometimes we feel shy of doing it in front of other people, that we might be at a place where other people are not Muslim, so we feel awkward, you know, washing our face in a public washroom and washing our arms and rinsing our mouth and then feet, that we don't feel like washing our feet. So, it happens. We do experience these difficulties. But, you know, if you look at the reward, if you always focus on the reward, then inshallah it will make it easier for you to do wudu. Many times children, you know, they won't pray just because they have to do wudu. They find it so difficult to do wudu, it's as though you're telling them to do something very, very hard for them. Whereas it's not hard, but shaitan makes it seem so big, so impossible. Sima, not shining, but the mark will be there. These are all, you know, waswas of shaitan, whispers of shaitan, oh my God, take off all of those pins, and then redo your hair, and all that time I spend, you know, forget it. That if we remember, this will be a source of brightness, nur, on the day of judgment. And from another hadith, we learned that the Sahaba, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, that how will you recognize the people of your nation on the day of judgment? So many. And so many people you you don't even know, you haven't even seen. So how will you recognize? And he said that by the traces of their wudu. So if we remember that, that the Prophet ﷺ will recognize us through our wudu, you know, this will be a source of honor, protection for us on the day of judgment. Then what more do we want? Inshallah, we'll come to the actual fiqh of wudu, what is allowed, what is not. That will come inshallah. Uh, we learned earlier about socks. Inshallah, that also we learned more. Ka'bain, uh, it means that you have to also wash your ankles. Ankles are included. Okay? So for example, if you are wearing socks and they are below your ankles, then you cannot do masr over them. Okay? Your ankles must be covered with them. It depends. I mean, some are still thick and some are not. Okay, so it really depends. It depends on the type, on the material. That there's no reason why we should feel lazy in doing wudu because water is available to us everywhere at the temperature that we want, that we're comfortable with. 
I mean, there are so many places in this world, and even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, it wasn't easy to get water. You had to stand in lines, you had to walk so far and away, and then bring all the water on your head, and then use that water for drinking and also washing and everything. And then if you have to do wudu and it's cold, you have to warm up that water yourself. All we have to do literally is just go into the washroom and open the tap. That's it. But shaitan even makes that difficult for us. I mean, what is our struggle in trying to do wudu? Hardly any. All that we have to do sometimes is just take off our socks. And even that seems like, you know, going to a different mountain and getting water from there. I've seen myself. I remember once we were visiting um, this place near Islamabad in Pakistan. It's called Mari. It's uh, it's a place in mountains. And um, we were staying at somebody's house and uh, they didn't have water in that house. There were no you know, water pipes at all that brought water to your house. Allah wa'alam what's the situation now, but at that time, you didn't get water in your houses like you do over here. So they would go to this, you know, spring and they would go and get water from there. Or they would have water delivered. They would have to purchase water. And that water was so precious. And it's in the middle of the mountains, it's cold. The water would get cold. And at night, if you're performing wudu for Isha, he would freeze. So the water would be warmed up, it would be heated up, and then you would perform wudu with that. So long it would take to do wudu. Taking a shower was like impossible. And alhamdulillah here, no difficulty whatsoever. So when Allah has made it so easy for us, when He has facilitated it for us so much, then we should really benefit from it. And if we don't, then nobody's at, you know, nobody's guilty except ourselves. Nobody's to blame except ourselves. That sometimes a person feels embarrassed to, to do wudu, that other people will find out that I didn't have wudu, or that I did, I did wudu and now it's broken. You know, I saw a video, I don't know if you've seen it, of Sheikh Hudayfi. He was leading salah in Medina, in the masjid. And right when he was about to start, you know, he went and he did wudu and he returned. It was being broadcasted on television, being recorded, thousands of people behind him. But who should we fear? Allah. We should have fear of Allah over there, not the fear of people. Not the fear of embarrassment before people. Because these people in front of whom we're, we're trying to preserve our image on the Day of Judgment, even they will get to know about how we deceived them. That just imagine that part of Janazah is to, the burial services that are done, is to wash the deceased. You know, washing the body and wudu. So, you know, if on a dead person you're supposed to do that, when we're alive, it's even more necessary. That we see that wudu is so essential, it is so important, it's so emphasized in fiqh, in, in our religion. And at the same time, cleanliness is important inwardly, outwardly. You know, it's a source of great reward on the Day of Judgment, so we should not stay behind in doing this. That many infections, you know, how are they spread? Either by hands or by, you know, inhaling them. So if you, you know, wash your parts of the body that are exposed, mainly your hands, your face, your feet, then, inshallah, that will also protect you against infections. That we see that, for example, doctors, nurses, when they attend to their patients or when they have to perform surgery, how thoroughly they have to wash their hands and, you know, keep them clean. Why? So that, you know, you are treating people, you are touching them, so you shouldn't, you know, pass on any germs to them. And it's also, you know, when somebody has clean hands and you feel comfortable with them, right? So, I mean, we're standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So over there also cleanliness is essential. That washing yourself is is amazing. We see that the Prophet of Allah, Ayyub salam, he was told to wash himself, remember, with cold water. It has many benefits. 
You know, there's many health benefits, many physical benefits, social benefits, you know, benefits in the hereafter. That wudu is something that should be taught. It should be encouraged. You know, like, for example, children, encourage them to do wudu. Tell them about the rewards of wudu. And inshallah, they won't grow up with that, you know, concept of, you know, wudu is so hard, it's so difficult. Let them enjoy it. And children love to play with water anyway. That people have also made wudu hard upon themselves by making some things mandatory, which are not actually mandatory. I remember that this is also taught that you can only perform wudu from a container that is made of clay. And uh, from that, you do wudu. And inshallah, we learned that the Prophet ﷺ did wudu from water that was in a water skin. So people make it hard upon themselves. Your head has to be covered and you have to be sitting on the ground. And you're like, all that difficulty, I can't do it, so forget about it. That wudu, a part of its benefits is that it makes you feel very fresh and alert. It wakes you up from your sleep. So you can actually focus better in your salah. It also you know, affects you emotionally. So if you were angry, you know, you will calm down. In dunya, people go through so many things just to brighten up their skin. And that's also very temporary for some time. But you can actually get permanent brightness, permanent radiance, permanent freshness on your skin. But you do wudu. As long as you have wudu, you can put on socks and then do masah on that. Okay? It doesn't mean that you have to do it right after. But as long as you wore your socks when you had wudu, it's perfectly fine. Inshallah, we'll conclude over here. Okay, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.